So I was asked to respond to the question, what is the Avaidah today, a few days after the barbaric atrocities that happened to our people? And the answer, in short, is far be it for me to know. Um, but I can share some of my own, my own thoughts, and I can share some of what I've been thinking about and feeling. And since, since I am a therapist, and um, I have spent quite a number of hours in the last two or three days talking to people and, and mostly listening to people, I've kind of developed some of my own thinking around what is this response and more specifically, what is the practical avoida for each and every one of us? So this is one man's thought. I think the first thing that strikes me about all this uh, is that there, we are living through a moment in history that is very dramatic and is very epic. Many of us, um, most of us, probably all of us, were not alive um, during the, t the actual time of the Holocaust. And um, for the Jewish people, this tragedy really um, is second to the Holocaust. And so even those that have lived through the Yom Kippur War or the 67 War, there's something about this feels like it is closer to the Holocaust than not. And um, to be able to wrap our heads around what that even means for each and every one of us, that we are, we are living in a time that is very Mashiachdik, uh, that is very dramatic, is very existential, just to, for us to wrap our heads around that is something that um, is certainly difficult, let alone the, um, the ability to wrap our heads or our hearts around what actually happened. Um, and for many of us here in, in America, there really is a deep sense of not knowing what, what so what can I do, what should I do? And the, the sense of being moved to want to do something is certainly very, not just normal, but very healthy and real. And then the sense of despair that comes along with living where we are and uh, not feeling like we can contribute enough in ways that we might want to. So I think the first thing that that uh, bears to be uh, said, certainly I can say <coughs> what I've seen and that I would reflect back to all of us is that many of us, many people have expressed to me, and I've had this thought myself in, in some way, maybe not in, exact, in these exact words, but a certain sense of guilt living here and going about our daily life, going to work, taking care of business, um, I had a dentist appointment yesterday, and um, the, the mundanity of the regular rigmarole of life, and then that begs the question of, do I feel guilty about uh, living my life? And specifically as a therapist, where people spend time talking about their, their personal lives, how can I talk about myself personally right now? Like, my problems either pale in comparison or... Worse, they don't pale in they don't pale in comparison. I feel so moved by the things that are difficult for me, and how how do I wrap my head around that? There's some there's some atrocity that's has just taken place in the world that is uh, infinitely greater than what feels in this moment like a minute aspect of my life, and yet life still is full of struggle. And how do I wrap my head around that? And so, 
the first thing to say is that abnormal situations call for abnormal responses. And so that every one of us needs to really check in to recognize that the normal response to abnormality is abnormality. And so we don't need to really, obviously when there are outliers and people are um, going through real traumatic uh, triggers or having panic attacks and not functioning, that might be a different story. But for the, re for the rest of us, most of our experiences, we should not be judgmental of. Um, crisis is crisis, trauma is trauma, difficulty is difficulty. And like I said, what is most normal during a time of abnormality is to have abnormal reactions and to allow ourselves the time and the space over the next few days, weeks, and months to process whatever it is that we need to process to be able to hold space for whatever needs to come up from each and every one of us individually. So that's by way of introduction, the way that I um, feel the need to say, again, abnormal situations call for sense of chaos, call for confusion, call for unexpected feelings, unexpected reactions, and that's what's normal and therefore healthy. It's been pointed out, uh, Rabbi Weinberger, Ramesh Weinberger pointed this out um, in shul already on Yantiv, that all of this happened um, at the beginning of Parshas Boratius. We lamed Parshas Boratius in Eretz Yisrael, we lamed it the day of this, of this atrocity. And in, in Chutzlar, it's here, we lamed it in Simchas Torah. We are now holding during the time of Boratius, of new beginnings. And to begin this year with such tragedy, to begin this year with a sense of such tohu vavohu, of emptiness, uh, during this time of creation is, is, is very ironic, is very paradoxical. Usually we think of birth, we think of creation as being something magnificent and something beautiful and something dramatically good. And to begin this year and to try to wrap our heads around the confusion and the craziness of what happened is, is in itself very paradoxical. And at the same time, it's really the way all creation happens because all creation and all beginning must go through a process of trauma. All birth is traumatic, risky, makes a lot of things very confusing. And the message that I would like to give over tonight, if I can, it's the message that I've been thinking about and is in a way sitting within me, is to know that all beginnings are new births and birth is always a beautiful thing. And so somehow, somewhere in the midst of all this, we need to hold on to the belief that there is something beautiful that this is going to give birth to. That doesn't mean we can tune into that and it might not even be the right time to be talking about this. But I do want to say <clears throat> that we just walked out of Elul, we just walked out of Tishrei <clears throat> and how much of humanity plays a significant role in the creation of the world. Those of us that, that have been together, studying together the last few years, know that probably perhaps the two, my two favorite words in all of the Torah 
are the words Nasa Adam, which is which is what took place in this week's parsha. Nasa Adam, let us create man. Because the entirety of all creation surrounds that one creature that is called Adam. And all of our tradition holds and recognizes that the Jewish people are called Adam. If we want to know what personifies Adam Harishon, it's the Jewish people. <clears throat> and so it is not a coincidence that this takes place during the, the week that we read the words Nasa Adam, let us create man. That somehow, somewhere, this strikes a chord, this entire atrocity strikes a chord at the very centra, cent, centrality of life and in a way at the very centrality of these words, Nasa Adam, let us create man. And so like I have uh, tried to been, <laughs> communicate all these years in my own way is to be able to say, that everything about this world and everything about what's going on has to do with the drama of the individual lives that we live and the collective life of Kal Yisrael and by extension, the collective life of all of humanity. That many of us perhaps, and we can and should and need to say that the Rabbani Shalom, that God sits at the, at the central focus of all of reality, but at the same time, we also need to tune into the frequency that tells us that Nasa Adam, let us create man, that the man sits at the centrality of all of existence. And that's the famous Torah from the Baal Shem Tev, that in all the creations of the world, Vayemer Lekim Yihi Or, Hashem said, let there be Or, let there be light, let there be beauty, let there be magnificence, Or in the Svar Makadashim represents all that is good in this world, it doesn't just mean physical light, or all the mystical lights. Who created that? Hashem created that. Who created the, the Shemayim Va'aretz? Hashem created that. Who created elephants? Hashem created that. But who created Adam? So says the Baal Shem Tev, it wasn't God who created Adam. It was a joint effort between God and man. Na'asa Adam, let us create man. Hashem is speaking to man himself and saying, let us create man. So what is it that has taken place in the world that we, for us, need to tune in to ask, what is this meant for me? So again, these are my thoughts. We move to on looking at the world of Yishmael. It's really, really the place where we need to go. To look, so, at, to look at Yishmael and to see what is the source of Yishmael. Where did Yishmael come from? How did Yishmael get his name? The Yishmael ki shama Hashem elanyacha. The word Yishmael itself means Yishma Kel, that Hashem will listen. That somehow at the root of the Torah's understanding of Yishmael is this concept, this notion of Hashem listening. <coughs> Later on, when Yishmael and Hagar get cast out 
into exile from Avram's house. The Pasuk says, Yishmael was crying. <coughs> and Hashem listened to the voice of the Nar. And the Malach calls out to Hagar and says to Hagar, not to worry. Hashem listened to the voice of Yishmael, of the Nar, Ba'asher Husham, wherever he was. And says the Svasemes and the other Svarmakulation, Ba'asher Husham, that Yishmael cried out to Hashem from a place of darkness, from a place of loneliness. And even though Yishmael is referred to as the Pera Adam, Yishmael in the Torah is referred to as the antithesis of Adam, the opposite of the Adam that was created in Asa Adam, the antithesis of Adam, even though that's true. But since Yishmael called out in authenticity to Hashem, Ba'asher Husham, wherever he was, so the Malach Elohim comes to Hagar and says, Hashem is listening to the tefillah of Yishmael, even though he is from the lowest of the low, but Hashem's listening to him. Ba'asher Husham says this Fasemes, he's listening to him because he called out from wherever he was. In the, in the Ariya Kaddish, the Kayach of Yishmael, the Klipa of Yishmael, which means this that Yishmael brings into this world that looks like Kedusha is the Kayach of Tefillah. That somehow Yishmael has some power when it comes to davening, when it comes to prayer, that really can be a kitrid for Klal Yisrael. That Yishmael knows how to pray. That the nation of and the religion of Yishmael has some capacity to pray. And so what that says to all of us, I think, we're going to ask the question, if I'm being asked the question, what is the Avaida? So then it really needs to be tefillah. And this is what I want to, to, uh, to address, because there are basically three things, three elements about tefillah that um, amongst the whole myriad of things we can talk about davening, there are three elements of tefillah that I want to, um, to bring up. And one of them begins with these words, Ba'asher Husham. Those of us that, were, that, uh, that joined us in, in the sukkah over, um, over sukkahs heard this, heard this story. <coughs> There's a, a story that's related in the Svarm from the Baal Shem Tev HaKadosh. The Baal Shem Tev tells a story about, about Hester Panim, about Hashem's hiddenness, Hashem's face that's hiding. And the Baal Shem Tev tells a story about a king who has this massive plot of land, hundreds of acres worth of land, and he builds himself a fantastic palace. And each, as you get closer into the inner chambers of the king, the palace is more beautiful and more beautiful and more beautiful. And the king, not wanting his children to be lazy, not wanting his children to be spoiled, sends his children to the edge of the property of the entire palace sets up obstacle courses and says to his children, you're invited to come in to my palace, but you have to get through these obstacle courses. I'm not letting you do it on your own. So says the Baal Shem Tev, there are two sons. One son, he says, is the tipesh, is the, is the not so smart son. What does the tipesh do? 
So he says the, the sun that's the tipesh looks at the obstacle courses, looks at the grandi the grandiose size the, the, uh, of, of the palace, sees that wherever he is at the edge of the at the edge of the forest, <coughs> at the edge of the property, he sees that there are all kinds of uh, servants and everything set up for him to good, live a good life there. Looks at his life where he is. Looks at the palace. Says the obstacle courses are way beyond my capabilities. None of the uh, the Mesharsim, the servants that were there, had any capacity to help him get through the obstacle courses. And he decides that it's too hard. It's too difficult. He's going to remain at the edge of the forest, and that's where he's going to make his life. It's not a bad choice. He didn't run away from the from the from the kingdom. He didn't reject. His father, he wasn't angry at his father, but he said, look, if this is where God put me, this is the Ba'asher Husham, so to speak, this is where God put me, and so I will live my life here. And that, the Ba'asher Husham says, is son number one, that's the Tipesh. Son number two is the Chacham. The Chacham listens to everything that his father proposes, clearly has an interest in getting through all the obstacle courses, and so in some way, this son number two tricks his father. And he calls his father and says to his father, I'm here at the edge of the property. I have no idea how in any way, shape, or form I'm going to get through these obstacle courses. Can you show me how to do it? It says the Balshamtiv that the father in all of his Rahmanas says to his son, absolutely. And together, the father and son, the king and the prince, the Rabbi Shalom and Klai Yisrael walk together through the fires and the obstacle courses and all of the tragedies and all the calamities that befall us. Because if we want to know how to respond to the klipa of Yishmael, if we want to know how to pray in a way that is holy, then we take a message from that Pasuk. When a person has the capacity to be vulnerable like a child, like that story in the Bashemtiv, and has the capacity to pray where I am. It doesn't matter how much I've done, it doesn't matter what I've done, it doesn't matter where I am, it doesn't matter what situation I'm in. I have the capacity to pray, and my capacity to pray is the first antidote is the first step, is the first thing that we can do in combating this klipa of Yishmael. And I want to make this very granular for a minute. What does it mean to pray by Sher Husham? It means to say to Hashem, Hashem, this is how I feel. It doesn't mean anything more than that. It doesn't have to mean anything more than that. It doesn't mean anything more than this is how I feel. Every moment that I gain clarity about my feeling through this situation, and every moment that I have the capacity to say to Hashem, Hashem, I'm going to give you the gift of inviting you into my sadness. Hashem, I'm going to give you the gift of my anxiety. Hashem, I'm going to give you the gift of my anger. Hashem, I'm going to give you the gift of my confusion, my brokenness, my tremendous 
lack of amuna that I have in this moment. I'm going to give you the pain that I feel from sitting and hopefully not looking at, but hearing about and knowing about the atrocities that have gone on. I'm going to give you the gift of you taking that energy, doesn't have to be away from me, but taking that energy and holding on to that energy. That means that my tefillahs to the Rabbi Nishalim do not need to be anything more than just saying to Hashem, this is how I feel. I'm inviting you into that feeling, period, done. That's it. I don't have to come up with anything sophisticated. I don't have to come up with anything complicated. I don't have to think about how I wish things would be. Ba'asher husham. As I am, the way I am, how I feel, the situation that this has brought up for me, the experience that this has caused me to feel, Hashem, I'm turning it back to you. And I don't know that it, I, I could let go of it. And I don't know that you will take it from me. But I'm, I'm inviting you here to this edge of this property, knowing that we are sitting in the midst of this tremendous atrocity that you yourself have done. You, Hashem, have brought down such a rain of destruction, and it's caused me to feel such feelings, and I am bringing it back to you. And I don't know what will happen beyond that. So that's tefillah number one. Now for tefillah number two, or the second element of tefillah, we're going to read together a piece from from who? You're guessing it already? Ruff Cook. From Ruff Cook. 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 Precisely. Or Dr. Seuss, one or the other. Here's, a, we're going to read together a piece from Ruff Cook and also an explanation. <coughs> you have it, you should have it on your screen. An explanation from a, a really very beautiful person who's written, um, his name is Asaf Fasi. Written a, a, a beautiful um, a small peerish on select quotes from Rav Cook. It was a, it's a very artistic book, and we're going to read this together because there's one particular piece here in both in Rav Cook, but also in uh, this Asaf's uh, explanation that I think is is the second thing that I want to um, I want to address. Mahu Hanocham. What is Nechama? Where does Nechama come from? What brings us Nechama? So says Rav Kook, this is something we must learn. We must transcend beyond the loneliness of a Nechama of Tiflis, of a Nechama of emptiness. We must transcend above the small-minded kinds of nechama, the small-minded things that will make us feel better. We must elevate ourselves above that. And what is, what does this mean? What is, uh, what is above? What is a nechama shel tiflos? Or really, Mikol Shekeni says, menachemta digidufa shel ma'ev shulamavad. To come above a nechama of tiflos, and even more than that, to come above, to transcend above a nechama of brokenness. What could we do? Rabbi did such a thing. What could we do? Says Rav Kook, we need to go above and beyond. 
and to come to that situation within ourselves. We must get to a point that we can taste and be, <clears throat> be infused with a nechama of truth. We must transcend above nechama of, of tiflos, of stupidity, really, excuse the language. We must uh, transcend above a nechama of tiflos. We must transcend above the hopelessness of my efshalamavar, of what, what is there to do. And we need to get to a point where we can be infused with the dew, with the sweetness, with the, to, that we are glistening with the nechama of truth, the nechama of Hashem. So says <coughs> this Rav Pasi. This is his explanation. Be'en chazon, on the bottom. Be'en chazon, when there's no vision, when we don't see what's happening or what's going to happen. Yesh yeyush. There's hopelessness. Ba'yeyush, hopelessness, Hopelessness is drawn, is born out of a feeling that there's nothing to do. That the matzav is very dramatic, is very awesome, is very fearful. And that it's upon us to only hope and pray and ask that it shouldn't get worse. That's yeyush. That's what Rav Kook is talking about when he talks about what is there to do? Or Anacham of Tiflis, I daven that things shouldn't get worse. That's, of course, a good, a good kind of prayer. That's for sure. It's a good kind of prayer. But to be in a situation, to, have, to feel within that the best I could do is to pray that things should not get worse, says Rav Kook and says this, this, uh, this Rav Fasi, this is not the right way. Nechama is not something that you say with your mouth and you express into the world without feeling it, without believing it. To believe wholeheartedly in the nitzchios of Yisrael, in the eternality of Yisrael, and our capacity to rise up from the darkest places that we find ourselves in. We could really stop here. To believe wholeheartedly in the nitzchios and the eternality of Klal Yisrael and our capacity to to rise up from the most difficult places that we might find ourselves in. <clears throat> this piece, the, 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 the source of this piece is not found in Shemarna Kvatsim. It's found in, in, well, it's found somewhere in Shemarna Kvatsim, but that the source of this is not, is not here. It's, it's found in a series of essays that Rav Kook wrote on Knesset Yisrael. Rav Kook is speaking <coughs> about these essays on Knesset Yisrael. That our, our capacity to find the good that is within ourselves. 
Rav Kook is not oblivious to Ra, to evil. It, it, Rav Kook is not oblivious that there are times that we have to have be inspired to do tshuva and to grow and to change. But in this essay, Rav Kook is speaking on the importance of good, the capacity for, for good to infuse and integrate, be integrated and be swallowed into everything. And Rav Kook is also speaking about the eternality of Yisrael. From an amuna, from a faith that is drawn from a promise by God that there is for our nation a tafkid that is nitzchi, that is eternal. That eternal doesn't just mean time. Eternal means that is essential. That there is a tafkid, there's a purpose in all of reality. When we go back to those words, nasa adam, that adam sits at the the central focus of all of creation. It's to recognize that in this nation called Kal Yisrael, there's a tafkid nitzchi ba'olam. There is a, an eternal tafkid, that the entire drama of everything that exists in this world somehow is connected back to Kal Yisrael. There are so many different things to say. I'm going to stop reading this piece because it's really, really what it, it captures the words that I that I that I want to I want to express. The feeling that I've had from the beginning of all of this is that I don't know politics. I, I, it's not really much of interest to me, and I don't know whether or not the Arabs care about Zionism or they care about anti-Semitism. None of those things really speak to me. What speaks to me is that when such a calamity befalls Cloud Yisrael, that means that there's something being spoken to me. And each and every one of us in our own way, it's not for any of us to know what, what in which way, but it is to have that spark that is called Yisrael, that spark that is called Neshama, that exists inside in each and every one of us. That's what's getting tickled. It's not necessarily, maybe it could be, but I'm not, that's not where I'm going. I'm not going into the details of doing tshuva and being better at the things that we do in life. It's to recognize that this, these words of Nasa Adam applies to each and every one of us, a, a as humans, but more importantly as Jews, to believe al kit. That there is something about our nation, about our people, that sits at the very central focus of all of existence. And the two elements of that have to do with each of us as individuals, is for each of us to know that the little bit that we do, the little bit that we feel, the little bit of our personal experience in this is the most important thing. What does this mean to me? For each and every one of us to ask ourselves the question, how am I feeling in all of this? What does this mean to me? Yes, we want to listen to other people. Yes, you've all joined me to hear what I have to say. But to take what I have to say and to leave here 
and to ask yourself the question, what does this mean for me? What does this feel like for me? What is the process of the emotional journey that I'm, that I'm going through? What is this roller coaster about for me? And to bring that back to Hashem, that plays a central focus of what all this experience is about. That is the response to the Ba'asher Husham of Yishmael, is to recognize, A, that my experience through all this is important. It's not even about what I do with it. It's simply the recognition that this is somehow a drama about me, Yitzhi Horowitz, and you at New York, and you wherever you are. That's A. And B, the recognition, and to never forget, that the Jewish people have outlived the worst atrocities known. <coughs> to look and recognize, not just as an, as an anthropologist or as a, a, a student of history, about how fascinating it is that the Jewish people have survived, but to recognize that there's that there's there's some drama that exists in this world about the Jewish people, and that the nitzchias, the eternality of the Jewish people, sits at the center of all of life. And for each and every one of us to feel that in our individual lives, we are also a part of a collective. We are part of not a nation, but the nation. For each and every one of us to be mechazik ourselves in that emuna, that it's A, it's about me, and B, it's about us. I saw a great meme today. It's, it was just a, a perfect a sentence that encapsulates all of, really all of Panimia Satira, <coughs> but it was attributed to the Balatanya. And the sentence was that all the Jews are one soul breathing through millions of different, different bodies. The Jewish people is one soul breathing through millions of different bodies, ex extending all the way back to the beginning of Avram Avinu and going all the way down until Mashiach really going all the way back to Adam Rishon, but to recognize that there is one central neshama that is called Kalayisrael that exists inside each and every one of us. And so that at any moment that any of us feels that somehow we are not a part of, that somehow we are an outlier, that somehow we are an outcast. There's a bracha that we say in Shemana Esra, that every Jew prays for those people that are the nidche Ami Yisrael, the people that feel like they are rejected. It, it doesn't mean the people who are not from. It doesn't mean the people that have gone through tremendous trauma. It means each and every one of us, because each and every one of us has moments where we feel that we are part of the Nidche Ami Yisrael. And so with this, what the, the Avaida is to be mechazik for each and every one of us, to be mechazik that connection to this thing that is called Nishmas Yisrael, to know that every little bit that we contribute, every tefillah we go to, every parak of Tehillim that we say, every personal tefillah that we say, contributes something to the entire tapestry of all of Yiddishkeit. And that's, that's the Avaidah. That's, that's my message. That's my answer to the question that I was asked uh, a few nights ago. The Avaidah is A, to recognize that your personal experience is Kaddish Vitahar. You don't need to fix it. You don't need to change it. You, you need to only give it, give it back to Hashem and not be afraid, no matter where you are, but Asher Husham, to say to Hashem, can you come here? Because I'm suffering and I don't know and I don't understand. And maybe I'm too angry even to talk to you or maybe I'm too blunted or I'm too broken or I'm too 
confused or to whatever the words might be, in no matter what way I might feel rejected by Hashem, to turn to Hashem and say to Hashem, I feel rejected by you, or to turn to Hashem and to say to Hashem, I don't know, I don't know how to respond to all this. So I'm, I'm turning to you and I'm saying to you, here I am. And to be mechazik our amuna, in not just the nitzchus of Klal Yisrael, but the relationship that each and every one of us as individuals have to Klal Yisrael. To be mechazik both of those aspects, both in our, uh, in our feelings and in our prayers. And to recognize and to remember another quote from Avkuk. Let me, let me just find it. We'll end with this. Rav Cook writes, one second, sorry. Thought I had this saved. Maybe I do right here. <coughs> if not, I will just say it out loud in English. Um, Rav Cook says in English, that the big tzaddik and the righteous people do not spend their time trying to reject evil. They don't spend their time trying to push away all that is bad. The tzaddikim, the big tzaddikim, spend their time trying to increase that which is good. The big tzaddikim are the ones that are not bothered by trying to ask the questions why or trying to understand why, but their job is to add more light and to add more beauty and to expand the sense of self that each and, each and every one of us have in life. Be more me, be more me. That's the answer to the question. Be more me, to feel more of me in relation to Kali Yisrael. And with that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu should give each and every one of us the capacity to go through these dark times each and every one of us the capacity to bring more light to our own lives, more light to the lives of the people around us, and to help in whatever way that we can, and not to get lost in the, the rabbit hole of watching pictures and watching the news. You know, somebody pointed out to me, it was a great, it was a great line, that uh, Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt because she was told not to turn around. Don't look at the trauma. Don't look, no matter how exciting and stimulating it might be, and no matter how much we get off on all, looking at all the tragic pictures, and no matter how much we think we can handle it. Light's wife and Light was told, don't turn around. Don't look at the pictures, even though you know it's there and even though you might be tempted in, in some way. So my bracha to all of us is that we have the capacity to make it through together, to come together, to do more good things, to do more things for each other, for ourselves, and believe that that will have a ripple effect throughout and make it to the front lines of the people that are actually out at war right now. <clears throat> we should not be afraid, no matter what our Hashkafic background is, to daven for the Chayalei Hatzvah Ganai Yisrael. See how often I've actually said those words. Um, but Hashem should bring us through this darkness and let this be this la the last darkness that births the greatest light of Mashiach with the building of the Beis Hamikdash from Herbi Amenu. Thank you everyone for joining me.